Another hopefully informative conversation today, and it's going to be really focused around building a company culture. Um, we are kind of trying to go through a couple of different themes and topics that are relevant to businesses as a whole and specifically to the locksmith and security industry. And business culture, your company culture, is something that you have regardless if you think it's good, bad, indifferent. It's something that you have. It's just innate to your organization. And we're going to be talking today a little bit about the things that affect it. Can you change it? Can you adjust it? What are the the observations that we've seen over time? And I'm excited today because we've got some really great folks on the on the round table to have a discussion about it. Um, so we'll, we'll bring those in now. We've got Lars Johnston from Calgary Lock and Safe up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Is that right? Did I say that right? You absolutely nailed it. Uh, yeah, Canada. It's just north of you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and also Mark Knight uh, from the HL Flake conglomerate. I'll let you introduce yourself and the, the, the family of corporate of groups that you have there. Hey, thanks, Chad. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, I'm CEO of uh, uh, what we call SPS um, Portfolio, which includes HL Flake, uh, International Key Supply, HE Mitchell, and McDonald Dash. And uh, I, I've now been in industrial distribution, including security products, for over 30 years. So uh, thrilled to be here. Very cool. And Lars, I guess, if you want to give everybody an introduction to uh, to what you got going on up north? Uh, Lars Johnson. I'm uh, one of the three partners. I partner with my two cousins, Jeremy Bryson and Tyler Bryson. We have a Calgary Lock and Safe and group of companies. We have uh, high security um, and Calgary Door Service. So we have uh, three companies in uh, Calgary, Alberta, just north of Montana. Uh, retail locksmiths, um, as well as uh, some low voltage and automatic openings. Very cool. And then obviously, you know, I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina with LockDoc Security, and we also have just acquired, I mean, the ink is still wet on the documents, acquired a second location down in Anderson, South Carolina, um, a company called Ellis, um, and they have been in business for nearly 60 years. And so now we're in the middle of merging two organizations together. And so this is a very timely conversation for us as well understanding different company cultures and then how they merge together, which I know, Mark, you've had a lot of experience with that and uh, as well as Lars. So um, I guess let's kind of jump into the conversation first. Number one, what does company culture mean to you? How do you define it? Lars, what are your, what are your, what's your definition for how that company culture, what, how do you identify it? Uh, well, we talk about company culture. We're specifically saying it's a, a set of values that guide decision-making within your company. Uh, the goal of having a, a company culture for us is that people can make decisions without having to so-called run it up the food chain. It just gives you a set of values. As long as you set or follow those values, you can make decisions. And, you know, the easiest way to explain it, people, it's how you do things. It's how decisions are made and how you do things as a group that defines your culture. Mark, what about you? You know, last week's topic was core values. and And I think that when you think about building or developing um, a great culture, uh, you know, it needs to start with um, common core values that everyone um, uh, has bought into mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, uh, internalizes and takes to heart. 
Yes, it's interesting. I, I've often kind of referred to a company culture as almost like the, the personality of the, the organization, right? Like when you walk into a building, you kind of get the vibe of, of that, what's going on there, the heartbeat of that organization. Um, and once you're, once you're kind of attuned to it, it sticks out. Like you, you walk into it, you go, oh, okay. The, one of the best examples that I um, had it recently was um, there's, there's two companies that are they're kind of partnered together and but they but they both operate very independently and you can talk to two people in that organization one works for one company one works for the other and easily without them telling you which company they work for you can identify which company they work for just by the the way the kind of the persona that they uh, they give off and that really to me is just kind of gives a definition around culture is just the way that they represent themselves i i, I brought this book because um this has been this helped to define what culture was. It's it's called You Little Jerk. It's by Larry Habaka. Um, and one of the ways that he talks about it is he says um, a company culture or a culture is uh, a, a combined group of behaviors, beliefs, and values. And once you bring those all together, then that really defines what your, what your culture is. Lars, from your perspective, how, how have you seen that come to life in your organization once you started to become, uh, I guess, more aware of, of what was going on as it relates to culture? Yeah, culture centric, I guess is probably the way I'd I'd phrase it. Um, you know, I wasn't a big believer in culture, and I thought it was a lot of hooey. Um, quite honestly, you know, I came out of business school. Um, I did my MBA, and you know, wear a black suit and black tie, and thought this is the way you do things. And you know, you listen or you you ship out. Right? You got two options: my way or beat it. I don't. That's not the saying, but you know what I'm getting at. Um, so, <laughs> um, and then I. You know, I got a little more experience, matured a bit and realized that, you know, there has to be something more to it. It just, it almost came out of a necessity of the frustration of, um, you know, and every manager said this out there. It's like, well, I've already told them a thousand times. Mm -hmm. or I've already told her a thousand times. They just don't listen. Right. And it's, well, I'm, I got sick of it. I don't want to, I don't want to have to make every decision for all 60 of our staff. Um, I want our team members to be able to actually make their own decisions. And it just came out of a necessity. And I started reading a few different books. Um, and I talked to you about this quite a bit, Chad. And, you know, it just kind of made, it made sense. We have to establish a framework where people can actually make their own decision based on a set of values. So if we put, um, you know, a, a culture based on these values in place, they can, they can do that. And I, for myself, as I said, I was a non-believer. I didn't have the Kool-Aid. Um, and then I just honestly just decided to, uh, I, I'm not sure what changed my mind. I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to believe in it. I'm going to turn my brain off and everything that I think is fooey about this. I'm going to ignore it. I'm just going to do it. And, uh, turns out it worked. The first time you, you talk about culture, you get a lot of, <laughs> a lot of this. The second time you get it, you get a lot of, and by about the third time they realize, Hmm. Maybe this isn't going away. And by about the fourth time, you get a lot of head nods and it just, it takes off like wildfire. And then just the feeling, that's the key word is your culture is based on the feeling. The feeling you get, just, you can feel it radiate through the company. Everyone's on the common page, common goal. I want to come back to the disbelief of that in, in just a little bit. Uh, Mark, from, from your perspective, I mean, have you ever dealt with that where it's just a cult, culture is just a buzzword and it's not really a thing and, and why is it important? You know, I think everyone does at one point or another. Um, 
you know, if I think back earlier in my career, we were putting a couple businesses together and uh, I was talking to the president at the time and he said, you know, um, we need to have engaged employees. And my comment at the time was, um, hmm. I don't think it's enough to have engaged employees. Uh, we need to have passionate employees. And, um, you know, I want people excited about the business, not just engaged in the business. And, and so, so how do you do that? And if I fast forward, uh, before I, before I came to HL Flake, I was with Ingersoll Rand and I worked with a guy that wrote a book on culture. And I, I think it's called the ACBs of Cultureship. Uh, Jason Bingham uh, was the author. And A stood for associates. And, and the premise was you need to take care of your people first. Uh, they come first because you want engaged, passionate employees. And you know, if you do that, uh, they'll take care of your customers. Uh, you'll develop, a, you know, a following loyal customers because mm -hmm. they'll feel that excitement or that, that, that culture that you're building within the organization. And if you do those two things, uh, business will follow. Um, so you need to really think about it. Uh, and, and I, I, you know, I had never heard it put in this way, but I guess it's 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 the way I thought throughout my career. You need to take care of the associates or the people. They'll take care of the customers, and ultimately, your business uh, will be successful as a result. So it's really focusing on the way that your team members are treated, and that's kind of core component of building a, a positive culture. Right. It's it's interesting. I, I I've shared this story before um, with some folks. Uh, it, it, exactly what you're talking about, Mark. We uh, kind of adapted Simon Sinek's uh, Golden Circle philosophy and uh, and applied it to uh, kind of the customer service philosophy, where uh, focusing on the why, but focusing on our team, which will affect the customers, which will continue to affect the business, and kind of thinking of it in, in those terms. It uh, also was a self-awareness component. So I want to kind of drive into the self-awareness side of things is, you know, how do you understand what your culture is like? You, you may sit there and go, well, our culture is great. Our culture is amazing. And uh, versus realizing that it's, it probably sucks and it's not that great. I, I years ago, uh, you know, thinking back probably seven or eight years ago, I had an awareness that, you know, maybe things were not as good as we wanted them to be because, we were operating, uh, my, I have a business partner, Chris, and we were chatting one time and I was just like, you know what? I think maybe we're exuding a little bit too much sarcasm and condescension. You know, <laughs> that was the way that we communicated. That's the way we joked. And Lars is laughing because that's the way Lars and I joke, right? That's, that's uh, the, the way that we go back and forth. And so we had this awareness of, hold on a second. If we're communicating that way and we're communicating that way inside of our organization to our team members, are our team members also doing the same thing to our customers? And that's not the culture that we want. So then the question is, how do we change that? So that's going to be the next question. How do you change your culture if you feel like, one, once you go to a self-awareness side and say, okay, hold on, I'm, I actually feel like maybe this culture is not that great or we need to make some improvements. What do you do to adjust it? I'll jump to Mark uh, first. What do you do if you feel like the culture doesn't necessarily fit and you need to make adjustments on it? And then we'll jump to Lars. Well, you know, uh, I think the first thing is getting 
a broader perspective on, you know, you may see the culture one way. Mm-hmm. How do your customers see your culture? Um, how do the employees see your culture? Um, and so we do a couple things. Uh, we, we survey our customers uh, actively. We have a large survey that we do once a year. Um, so really we can benchmark ourselves on how our customers view us. Uh, and we also do employee engagement surveying. And uh, last year was the first year that we did that. We'll be doing it again this year in a month or two. Um, but it, it, you know, beyond the survey, um, we have really much deeper conversations then. Uh, the survey only gives you a number mm-hmm. or a set of numbers or some scores, but really understanding, you know, what went into that. And, and so I think, um, you know, anecdotally, um, you'll get feedback from your customers, you'll get feedback from your employees, uh, but we'd really like to understand at a deeper level, um, what can we do to improve, uh, to improve that customer experience, uh, to improve that employee experience. And so um, I think it's these conversations that take place then mm-hmm. uh, with individuals, with the teams, to try and understand um, what they would like to see and, and how you can begin to improve those things. And I, I, it's a journey, right? I, we, we believe it's a never-ending journey. Mm-hmm. And, and at some point, I hope to share with you uh, during this conversation uh, a new winning culture initiative that we've just kicked off within the business in the past month or so uh, that I think really begins to take our culture uh, to the next level within the organization. All right. So I definitely want to circle back to that because that's going to be part of the plan is like, how do you, how do you make those changes? So, you know, you can, you can kind of find out and get an assessment from what you're saying through surveys or asking questions, or, you know, depending on your organization, you may be five employees, you may be two employees, you may be a hundred employees. So it could be just a matter of sitting down and asking the question, like, how do you feel about the work environment? Does it need to be improved? How can we make things better? How can we make it more enjoyable for you to to come to work here? Um, and I can tell you, I want to jump to Lars to kind of ask him the same type of question. I can tell you in, in some of the early stages of our transition, that was really what we did is, you know, we would just sit down with our with our team members and say, what is the thing that you you do not like? Like, what is the one thing that does that you dread at work every single day? And then the second question was, what is the thing that makes you get up out of the bed and come to work every day? And at, we just asked those questions. And from that, we started getting an understanding of what was important to them versus, because, I mean, you're not just going to sit around and say, what's our culture, you know, but you're asking them what drives them to come to work and what do they um, dread coming to work. And then that kind of gives you an assessment of understanding where they're at and where your where your team is. I think asking the customers is a really really next level approach where you can really understand how you're seen from the outside perspective. Lars, how, how have you seen that from a self-awareness standpoint? You were laughing uh, really a lot when we were talking about sarcasm and condescension. What, what are you, how have you seen that through your organization? <laughs> uh, yeah, I can recall a few conversations. Um, I mean, it's uh, I, I have this with a lot of, I've had this conversation with a couple of our new leaders recently. I know there's, Lots of old anecdotes that would talk about it, but you know, you you decide you want to make the change. That's step one, mm-hmm. and then 
It's that you work hard, you work hard, you work hard, and then you slip up once. <laughs> you feel like you're right back to where you started, right? And that's, uh, you know, the, the main thing is just not getting discouraged. Um, I, I was a university volleyball coach for, I don't know, years um, back in the East Coast. And we had an opportunity. We coached with a Japanese team. Um, and, you know, it was very interesting listening to his philosophy. Um, he we, we talked about a lot of the same issues and his philosophy was that, um, you know, the over in our part of the world is you tell a player 10 times to do something. Mm-hmm. He said in Japan, for every 10 times you tell someone, we tell them a thousand times. He says, and it's just over and over and over and the same message based on the same values. And they weren't called core values back then, but it's the same idea. As he says, every message, every meeting, um, every every review, every in our case compensation discussion, everything gets tied back into culture and values, mm. and that's how we really made it start to stick, so to speak. Um, and that's exactly how we began to change our culture. Um, it was just being very intentional, over and over and over again. Everywhere they look, there's core values and culture on the walls, on. TVs on everything in our company. So it's right there in front of your face. And that's our version of telling them 10,000 times. So repetition and kind of integration into what you're doing, it's making a part of what you're doing rather than it just being words on the wall or just something that you present one time at a company meeting and then you move on from it. it right. If, right. If you're wanting it's, to actually it's, transition. It's be, yeah. It's got to be, it's got to be part of everyday life, you know, and it's, and it's got to mean something. It's got to be emotion. If, if there's no emotion in what you stand for or what your culture stands for, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not going to get buy-in. It has to matter. So. Mark, I want to ask you a question because you mentioned it at the, at the top of the conversation. Obviously, uh, you guys have, have acquired several different businesses and you've integrated several different businesses. And just from an understanding, you know, the, the culture at HL Flake, maybe it's a little different than it was at McDonald Dash versus International Key Supplier versus these different businesses – how do those? How does that culture change, adapt? How do you merge those things together? Because I'm going to just I imagine, maybe assume a little bit that they're not all the same, and so you you bring those things together. How do you have culture clash, or how do you kind of get everybody in in alignment? Yeah, one of the things I've shared uh, over time is that you cannot change culture overnight. Mm-hmm. Culture. Um, evolves it you know it 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 grows um but you can change the environment and you can change the environment today and so you know i think there's a number of things that we do um we we uh and i know travis spoke to this a bit last week we we shared our core values you know with with sean and the the rest of the international key supply team um and uh, they provided great input that, you know, we should add, you know, tenacity, you know, as one of our core values. Um, but we, we talk about these things. So, you know, certainly since the pandemic hit, I provide a weekly or biweekly business update. We'll talk about the core values in that business update. Um, we do uh, Zoom meetings with the extended leadership team. We do quarterly town hall meetings with everybody in the organization. And we will talk about uh, the core values uh, 
each and every time. And sometimes we'll focus on, on, on one in particular. Uh, we'll share customer feedback, uh, shout outs. Um, you know, within our uh, payroll system, uh, we actually have a, a social network uh, kind of environment mm-hmm. that employees can engage in. And so employees can award each other badges based on our core values. And what's uh, really been exciting to see for me is uh, the International Key Supply and the H.E. Mitchell folks who came on board uh, last November. Uh, they're awarding more badges than anybody in the organization. Oh, wow. So, uh, they've really embraced it. And, and, you know, one of the things that we did uh, immediately is we, we created uh, uh, cross-functional teams that were cross-business. Um, so, you know, we began having people within the business engage with each other. Uh, we didn't continue to operate as separate entities or separate businesses. We knew that we needed to bring people together. They needed to get to know each other. They needed to get to trust each other. And... Um, you know, as I said, the culture is going to continue to evolve, you know, as as the business matures and as, you know, we hopefully in the future bring additional organizations on board. So very similar to what Lars was talking about. It's just being, I guess, intentional about it and integrating it into every kind of aspect of the conversation, but really trying to exemplify it or at least share examples and stories of how how this is the type of culture that we're wanting to encourage. Yeah, we used to call it uh, at Ingersoll Rand living the values. Okay. And, um, you know, do you exhibit the values in, in the way you interact with others? And there was an expectation that you would, you know, and if, if somebody doesn't, you need to address that. Um, you can't just overlook it. Otherwise, you're accepting it and, in a sense, um, uh, allowing it, you know, to occur. It's interesting. I and I'm I, I'm trying to rack my brain because I don't re- recall exactly where I read this or saw this, um, but there was somebody had, had had put somewhere on something that I that I consumed that a a person a leader had changed from a do as I say not as I do to morphed over to do as I do not as I say right and so it, it really converted over to the um, example or exemplifying what you're wanting those that culture to look like. And I think all too often in business specifically, you have somebody, a leader that's standing up and saying, this is how we're going to operate. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And then they go do the complete opposite. Um, and so it's, I guess it's a challenge and a call to business leaders to say, if, if you're wanting to change and adjust the culture in an organization, or as you say, evolve the culture, then you have to change the environment. And to change the environment, it is being intentional about what you're exemplifying and what you're highlighting, the kind of positive uh, reinforcement aspect versus just talking about the things that you don't want to do. Would you Would you agree with that? I would. Lars, what, what, is, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, the, I think Mark summed it up ni- nicely, culture evolves, environment changes. Yeah, I first thing that came to my head was, man, that's hard. It's you know, <laughs> it, it's hard to hard to try and be that change and be that leader. And I know it was, uh, you know, it it's just at some point, and this was part I mentioned earlier. You know, I wasn't a believer, and uh, it, you know, I when did I 
I, I just, I struggle with this. When did I turn into an adult? When did this happen? <laughs> Have you right? turned into you know, an adult? Like, <laughs> now Chad. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm exactly what I was talking about before. It's, you know, I, I work hard and I get, you know, I'm going through a book, Radical Candor right now that I just, I'm absolutely on board with it. Um, I mean, I, direct is not mean, you know, putting money in the emotional piggy bank, all these kind of terms. Um, you know, it, it was time for a refresher. I'd read it a few years ago. I'm back at it and it just is making total sense. And it's frustrating because, you know, I'll, I'll be doing well. It's, it's like I'm on a diet. There's an easy thing to relate it to, right? I'm on a diet. And then every once in a while, I just sling out a Big Mac. Oh, and I can't take it back. It's like, well, you know, the, the little sign, there's no accidents today, you know, back to one. <laughs> so it's, I, yeah, it's just, it's hard. It's hard. And I, I just don't, it's hard for me to understand that I'm now, I'm now a grown up, and I'm the person that's supposed to be running this. And, you know, it, it's, as much as it's, I can sit here and say, um, you know, this is what we need to do. And as a company, we need to do this stuff. It's, it is, that's only half the battle. Mm-hmm. The other half of the battle is working on myself. It's carrying that mirror around and making sure I'm adhering to these values because if I'm not, how can I impose or expect anyone else to? Um, so that, that's certainly the biggest challenge for me right now. And I'm just sitting here smiling thinking, man, how many Big Macs have I thrown out in the last week that I didn't even think about? Well, it's it's interesting too because you know in business when it comes down to it, you're you're setting an example as a, as leaders. You're setting an example in, intentionally or unintentionally by, by the actions that you have. So you, know, you can even get down very tactical to say, you know, um, you know, are you are you showing up for appointments on time versus not? You know, that's going to unintentionally set an example that it's important or not important for the organization to show up. Right. Um, you could say that, um, you know, be keeping, keeping track of your calendar is, is intentional or not intentional. And doing that as a leader is going to translate that over to the the people in your organization. If you're not organized, if you, if you walk into your, and I, I struggle with this a lot, like I collect random things on, uh, on my desk and if I can't keep my desk organized, you know, if you're if if you could see this entire studio right now, there's random things scattered all over here, right? But if your if your desk is that way, then you're setting the example that that's okay to have a messy work environment for the rest of the organization. And so I I think that's probably the biggest the biggest takeaway uh, that I would say um, as as a as a leader is one. As I think Mark said, culture evolves, environment changes. If I want certain things to be important in the organization, I first have to determine that they're going to be important to me. You know, if if I want health to be an important aspect of our organization, if I want kindness to be an important aspect of our organization, if, if I want uh, positive pos- positivity to be an encouraging atmosphere to be part of our organization, then I first have to set that example, and others will continue to see that. And it's almost like. If, if you say, and I, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, Mark, if you said, hey, we want to have a positive environment, so we're going to have a positive and encouraging environment, and so I set the tone to start to do that, I start to set the tone for encouraging others, when someone comes in as a discouragement, it's almost like a spotlight is pointed directly on it to say, oh, that's not right, like that's abnormal, and it almost adjusts itself because that environment or that culture is evolving and uh, because you've intentionally changed that. What are your thoughts on that? No, I think, uh, 
and, and I might be having a work from home moment in a minute. So uh, hopefully, hopefully the dog remains quiet, but uh, she's huffing over here. Um, you know, yeah, it, you know, I think earlier I mentioned that if, um, if you see something in the culture, whether it's a value issue or not, and it doesn't live up to expectations, if you don't say something about it, mm -hmm. you're, you're accepting it mm. and others are going to see that. And, uh, you know, they're either going to believe that that's acceptable. Um, but what you hope is that, um, you're not the one having to say something, uh, that, that that culture has permeated everyone in the organization mm -hmm. and they've bought in and they believe, and it, it's, it's now bigger than any one individual. And so, um, you hope that their, their teammates will say something, will call them out mm -hmm. um, or give them coaching and guidance if that's what they need. Um, you know, uh, I, when Lars was talking a, a couple minutes ago, I, uh, uh, your thought around being intentional about it. There's a, there's a guy I know, Mike Milby. Uh, you can look him up on LinkedIn. He's CEO of a, um, coaching and recruiting firm called Ratliff and Taylor. And um, he writes these wonderful posts about company culture and leadership. And uh, he always ends with a comment about being intentional about it. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you can't just, you can't just think about it. You've, you've actually got to do it and live it. Being intentional, that is something I think has been a circular conversation in, especially in our in our daily business meeting calls uh, that we, we talk a lot about is well, it can't be a passive type thing where it's just, you know, it is what it is. I can tell you uh, what you just said, Mark, is very interesting. And I, I heard somebody say this one time and it stuck with me. Culture, your company culture is more about what you allow versus what you don't allow. And I think what you just said is very true. If if you're if you're just letting things happen and being uh, Dave Ramsey says it quite frequently, to be unclear is to be unkind, right? So there's a difference between being a jerk and telling people things like coming across like a jerk versus just being very clear and direct and saying this is what we're what we're about and this is what what works and what doesn't work um, from an from an organization standpoint. I want to go back to the engaged versus, versus passionate employees, and then I want to also talk about your winning culture initiative. But engaged versus passionate employees, Lars, what does that mean to you? Because we've had this conversation a lot about engagement and, uh, and communication, and uh, you, and Mark said that it very is very interesting. He said that he does a weekly or biweekly business calls. I know you do a end of the week summary for your organization. I do an end of the week summary for our organization. It's kind of a communication side, and all that's great. Like we can spend all the time and effort to do that. But if our if our team members are just like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> delete, then uh, it, it kind of goes in deaf ears. What is, what are your thoughts on engaged employees versus passionate employees? How do you see that play out? I, I actually, I, I made a note there. I love, I, I love the term, just the idea of it. And, you know, engagement, we always talk about engagement. And as Chad, we discussed last week, words matter. Um, <laughs> so engagement uh, really doesn't hit, hit the mark 
like passionate does. Um, you know, it, there's, we've talked a lot about, and we went around the, and as soon as we understand that, uh, or understood that, I think we went around the room and it really, you could see the difference and what I would say that engagement of actively listening to being passionate. And that's when you got the, you know, the head bobs and even, even some, you know, welling eyes that they were really passionate about what they did. And once you could help people see, you know, at a deeper level, what they are contributing to in the big picture and the greater good, mm. so to speak, um, that's where the passion was invoked. And I, I just love that, uh, you know, passion is what we're looking for, not engagement. Mark. Uh, yeah. I, I just, I love that. Mark, how do you, when you walk through the halls of HL flake, how do you identify people being passionate versus just being engaged? Um, I think there's an excitement that you see um, in people, right? And it, it could be any number of things. It could be that, that you know, the evening before, uh, they're so interested in the security product space that they they read magazines, right? Mm -hmm. uh, industry journals or industry publications. Yeah, yeah. And they identify a new product that's coming out. And they think that it would be um, something our, our, our customers would have an interest in. Or, or you know, and, and so you'll see them talk about these things. And there's an excitement there when they're talking about the business, um, the products, the customer experience, ways that perhaps we could serve our customers that are new and different that would be meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I've seen a lot of that, especially since the pandemic, because we had to pivot and, and maybe interact with our customers differently than we have been in the past. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's now virtual. Um, you know, the business roundtable that, that, you know, we're... Uh, uh, we're helping sponsor on a weekly basis, the educational sessions that we were providing at no charge, people got excited about those things because they knew that they would be meaningful uh, to others, uh, to our customers. Um, but, um, back in the day, um, the, the business I was with, uh, PPG, we just landed as a, a national account, a corporate account. And uh, so the story I told the president when I said, you know, being engaged isn't enough. We need passionate employees. PPG was running a lot of commercials at that time. Mm. And I said, I would love for people to be sitting at home with their family. That commercial comes on TV. And to have those people say, hey, you know what? PPG is a new customer of ours. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's those conversations that take place. Uh, I think not only within the business, but but outside the business, people feel like um, they're a part of something bigger, and and uh, uh, it excites them to be a part of that. I think one of the things that stood out to me, and that is, passionate employees are those that are bringing ideas. You know, mm -hmm. and, and engaged knows what's going on; <laughs> they're aware of what's going on. Passionate is bringing ideas to try to continue to to grow the business. Um, and then people that are engaged or passionate, like those are the ones that you're like, ah, maybe, maybe this is not the place for you because that's the, the, the folks that are probably missing the mark significantly. Culture 
as a as a statement, uh, culture as an awareness in your organization. Now you're looking at engaging versus passionate employees, and you're you're looking at how that ultimately affects your customers. How do you keep a pulse on that? How do you? I mean, you've got surveys, you've got conversations. How can you keep a pulse on that to say, hold on a second, things are getting better or things are getting worse or things are getting way out of hand um, and so that you can adjust and adapt? I'm just, I'm just trying to put myself in a position as a, as a business owner, as a business leader. I'm sitting here watching this and I'm going, how do I know what the current state of my business is and so that I know if I need to, to take action on it or not? What are your thoughts, Lars? Chad, I've got a question for you. How might <laughs> you obviously you came you had this question pop into mind. What what were your immediate thoughts yourself? You know, I for for me it is it's been just a I guess that self-awareness. It's it's the waking up in the morning going, hold on a second, this isn't right, or I've got a gut instinct feeling that this is not. So it's more probably intuitional, if that's a proper word, since we're making up words. Um, it's more it's more uh intuition that I would feel than an actual process. And that's what I'm, I guess that's why the reason I asked the question and, and Mark, maybe you have some insight on it as well, but you know, if it, you take, you take intuition and then how do you actually apply that to an execution strategy? Because you're, you're trying to communicate to somebody else. Well, I just had a feeling that this was the case. It's, it's hard to communicate that, especially as your organization gets bigger. Yeah, we, we, we do a lot of check-ins with regard to morale. How, how are the teams feeling? Hmm. And um, trying to get a sense of, you know, what's the mood within the organization? And it, you know, it might be completely different in the sales group versus the warehouse versus uh, AR. Mm. And, and, and so we try and, and, and get a gauge on how are people feeling uh, right now? Um, you know, and, and I, I think we've done a lot more of it over the past few months because so many people are working remote. So you know, how do we get a gauge on, um, you know, their mood, their how they're feeling about the business? Are they are they still as excited about what we're doing? And so there's a lot of check-ins that we do um, uh, with the teams. Um, you know, we do skip level uh, conversations or skip level meetings yep, yep. within the organization. So it's it's not just the you know the supervisor or the manager of that team. Um, you know, we actively engage uh, throughout the organization. And, and I think that helps um, not only with the excitement in the organization, but it helps us get a better read on how are people feeling and uh, trying to understand that. That's, that's a very interesting concept that you just mentioned. Elaborate on skip level meetings, because I ran across that term the first time within the probably the last year on some of the, one a book that I was going through and it it really triggered some thoughts for me. What is what ex, ex, expound on that a little bit for people that may not know? So, um, you know, it, it talks about meeting with or, or spending time, um, quality time, with people throughout the organization uh, without their direct supervisor or manager, mm -hmm. and so um, you know we might bring a group together. Uh, that, that, that are, you know, in my case, I, I, I might get together with a group uh, in the organization uh, without um, their managers or supervisors. Um, it could be a one-on-one -on -one conversation that's taking place, but it, it truly is this open environment 
that, um, you know, you don't have to work through a manager or a supervisor to engage. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, these are meaningful uh, one-on-one or or one-with-many conversations that take place. And, um, you know, we've built a culture that people understand that's important to do. Uh, They don't mind that, you know, that's happening throughout the organization. Um, You know, it could be, uh, you know, Dave, who's our, uh, you know, heads up IT and operations, he could be having conversations directly with the sales team. Uh, and, and um, you know, I think that helps create um, this passionate engagement within the business, uh, but it also helps us uh, get a better understanding of how are people feeling and, and they're more comfortable engaging with you when you have that uh, real or true relationship that you've, you've built. So that that's an, a very appealing strategy. And I, I want to kind of also break it down because I'm, I'm just trying to think, you know, 10 years ago, our organization would not have had the ability to have skip level meetings because we didn't have any levels. It was, you know, it was 10 of us all in a room working together. Um, but and I'm trying to apply it in that aspect, because I would imagine that some of the people that are going to be watching this are they're going, OK, that's great. But our organization is five people. Skip yeah. level could also be in uh, having direct conversations with your customers. So maybe maybe you're the business owner or leader and you're, you've moved out a direct conversation with your customers. You're, you've got your team, your, your, your technicians or your salespeople or whatever. And so you're, uh, you're, you're being, your information is being filtered through those people. So how are things going with our customers? Everything is great. Everybody's happy. You know, <laughs> well, no, you just got chewed out this morning because you forgot to do something, but you're not necessarily bringing that in because you're not just going to raise your hand and say that that happened. And having basically those direct conversations with customers is is also a skip level. I just recently had one of those, and I'm, it was interesting to hear you say that, Mark, because I've always kind of addressed the term as exactly what you said, is that you would go meet with a team without their direct support person or direct supervisor, but you said a one-on-one. I just recently, just within the last, uh, I don't even know, week, had a conversation with one of our technicians without their direct support person because they felt like maybe what they were feeling or thinking wasn't actually being heard. And so I just sat down and sat down and had a, a 30 minute conversation and the the start of the conversation to the end of the conversation, their kind of frustration turned into a smile and excitement about where what was going to happen just because they needed that, I guess skip level if you want to classify that, but they just needed that conversation to understand this is what's going to happen. Lars, you're shaking your head. What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm I'm nodding. I absolutely absolutely agree with this. You know, something Elon Musk has said many times. You know, a lot of us get caught up once we get to this. Um, you're you're absolutely right. And chat intuitive was the word you're looking for there. But um, the having that mid level management is kind of the that's the like small business the hardest um, level to get past. It's getting that um, mid level management. Elon Musk talks about you know chain of command and. It's for whatever reason, somebody somewhere decided that, you know, once you get into this mid-level management, you have these different levels of management. Well, you got to follow the chain of command. If I talk to somebody, one of our frontline team members, well, you know, I'm, I'm stepping on somebody else's toes or Mm I'm, I'm, I'm meddling or I'm, you know, I'm doing something that I should be including them. Whereas, you know, Elon would tell you, Elon, because we're friends, (laughs) but, uh, 
Mr. Musk yeah. would say, you know, whoever needs to have the conversation should have it. And if you're caught up in our organization talking about chain of command, you don't belong here. Yeah. Um, and I, I really, I really enjoy that because I've found as we've grown, you know, we went from 15 to 35 like that. And then 35 was manageable. And then from 35 to 60, it was just, Oh God, what are we doing? Um, and, and it, it just got to that, that point where, you know, trying to follow the chain of the command, all it, all it really did was cause everything to take much longer and nothing ever got done because we were, the right people weren't having these conversations. And the idea of the, the skip meeting, I just, you know, I just love it. You know, we we're talking about the, the, just the question previously, we we're talking about how can you, how can you tell? Um, and, you know, I was thinking about quantitatively um, specifically and, you know, there's a lot of qualitative measures and we talk intuition is sadly how I do it too, really is, you know, how do I feel? And I, I talk to the team members and they say, oh, I feel this, I feel that. But with customers specifically, you know, how are we doing? We actually use a measurement of customer interactions. So we keep track of how many emails and phone calls and uh, social interactions and that kind of things. And this might be a, a bad assumption, but the assumption we're going on is as those go up, the feeling we have with our customers is probably higher if our demand goes up. Now, um, again, this, this, is, this is an assumption. I don't know if it's right. Uh, and we are currently relying on our account managers and our sales people and our customer experience reps to say, you know, how are things going? And um, I'm not sure because of the chain of command, I'm not sure that is actually making it up. So I've made myself a note is I've got to figure out a way to, immediately as soon as this is over i've got to figure out how are our customers feeling yeah it, um, it, have a little skip meeting directly with our customers it's, I love that idea. it's interesting there's a, there's a, a, a few customers that i have uh their contact information on my phone and, and the other day i was driving down the road and passed a building and i was like you know what i hadn't talked to those people lately so i just picked up the phone and called the guy and i was chatting with them. i was like hey how are things going you know how's how is how, it was an office building? How are things with the pandemic? You know how are how are things being adjusted? And he was like, oh, everything's great, blah blah blah. We're making adjustments here and there. And then he goes, he's like, and I was like, well, you know, is there anything I can do for you? And he said, well, we had uh, uh, a couple of hiccups with you guys a a couple of weeks ago, but we got it all squared away. And I was like, well, I. I hadn't heard about that, so I'm glad they got it resolved. You forgot to mention that, did you? <laughs> but it, it proved the point that I think what you were just saying is it's even just – it was a, a very casual conversation. I, I didn't call to see if how we were performing on that side of things, and it just kind of came up through natural conversation. And then you go, okay, these are things that we need to have on a, on a more regular basis because – and Mark can probably attest to that even more so because when you when you're building a larger organization, you've got all these businesses connected. You're more and more and more and more and more disconnected from the direct customer, and so being more intentional with having those conversations and getting that open dialogue so that you can help uh, to impact that, but also simultaneously building an avenue of trust to know you know at the end of the day our customer is taken care of. Now he was happy to share that it was. A problem and then it was solved, which is great because it didn't require my input to get the problem solved. Our our team is empowered to do that. So um, I, I'd be interested to hear Mark's thoughts on that, but also simultaneously saying exactly what you just said, Lars. I think one of the aspects to understand how your culture is, to get a feel on it, is the terminology that people use. Okay. 
So if the culture that you're trying to, to, to develop is a leader-leader mentality and empowerment for people to make their decisions, and if people are constantly using the terms like, well, I've got to run that up the chain, or that's above my pay scale, or whatever the case may be, then that's probably not the culture that, 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 is, that you think that's there, and it's probably part of the aspect. What are your thoughts on that, Mark? You know, and I've seen it, you know, in a number of organizations where um, it takes time uh, to, 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 to move from a more authoritative um, uh, environment to one that is more um, one of delegation, mm -hmm. right? Allowing people to make decisions on their own without having to run it up the chain. I do think every organization uh, over time does develop its own, um, speak, if you will. And, and there, there are, you know, begin to be common terms between the organizations. And, you know, we're seeing that a little bit with, uh, Flake and IKS, right. Where, you know, we, we talked about things in a certain way within Flake and we, we find that, you know, the IKS team talks about things using a little different, uh, jargon. Mm-hmm. And, um, so you, you kind of play off each other and, and you, you form this new understanding or this new jargon within the combined business that people begin to use. So, you know, you really look to, um, build on each other's, um, past and, um, you know, hopefully the culture that, you know, you, you, that evolves is, is stronger than the culture that, pre-existed in either organization. So mm, there you go, that it can kind of overcome that. Mark, do you want to kind of get, share a little bit about the winning culture initiative that you guys have got going on and what that means? Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for circling back uh, to that. So, you know, I think especially in the times that we're in today, um, we felt that we could do more. And, you know, I think culture needs to be driven by everyone in the organization, not by an individual. And so uh, I guess about a month or two ago, I teed up a concept of uh, a winning culture initiative within the business. And um, some of the aspects of having a winning culture, I believe, are things like inclusion. We have this wonderfully diverse organization. We're very fortunate to have that. Um, but we want to make sure that people feel um, uh, a part of it and, and that um, we're inclusive, you know, as a culture, as an organization. Uh, but we talk about other things as well, you know, employee growth, employee development. We talk about community involvement. Uh, we talk about uh, sustainability, you know, whether that's uh, the environment or sustainability of the organization itself. And uh, we talk about safety. Mm -hmm. uh, we talk about wellness. Uh, but there's a lot of different aspects to having a winning culture. And so, you know, I shared this idea with the organization and I said, who would like to be a part of this? Because um, I don't want to drive this. We want this to be employee led. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, we recognize we're not a large enough organization like many, you know, of our customers or even our suppliers. We, we're not big enough to have, uh, you know, a separate group focused on 
community involvement. And another group focused on, um, um, you know, inclusiveness within the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, So celebrating uh, the diversity that we have within the organization and how do we go about doing that? And so uh, we decided that we would have one team focused on winning culture and they'll help define uh, what that means Mm -hmm. and what that will be within the business and how we're going to celebrate that or how we're going to educate each other over time. And so we've had, um, I would say about 10%, uh, a little more than 10% of the employee population has stepped forward and said, Hey, you know, I want to be a part of that. I want to be on the team. Mm -hmm. And so they're now uh, beginning to meet on their own. Uh, helping define what their mission is going to be, what their focus is going to be, um, and and how uh, we'll help continue to to foster the kind of culture we want within the organization, uh, but acknowledging it needs to be broader than just the day to day stuff, mm-hmm. right? It 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 needs to address uh, what's happening in the world, uh, what's happening in the communities where we operate. And how we want to be a part of that, and how we want to engage with that. It's it's interesting. So we're we're talking about culture as a as for your organization. We're talking about culture. Uh, it can it can evolve over time, and we're also talking about it needs to be driven from the actual team, like the the team members, the employees, or the people that are going to actually. Impact or employ the the culture. As leaders, you can help to direct it and set the tone, but ultimately, the team is going to be the one that changes the culture. Right. So, being aware, having that kind of self awareness to say, "Hey, this is this is where I feel that it is," or "This is quantitatively, this is what it looks like," and then now we want to adapt and we want to try to set a direction over here. But it's never going to be successful if you can't get your team on board with those changes because they're ultimately going to be the ones that execute and carry out that culture change um, by the direction that you said. Is that a fair assessment from what you've all been saying? I think so. Uh, they're the ones that need to help live that, live the values, live the culture day to day. It's interesting. I think as, as leaders, at the end of the day, we... And and I think we've said this before. You ultimately kind of turn into your internal salesperson or your your internal coach, right? Because you're basically just working to make sure that you get everybody engaged, involved, and on board with the direction that you're heading in, selling them on kind of that concept and theory, and then allowing them to take it and carry it out and be successful with it. Lars, did you have some thoughts to add? Mark got me juiced there. I was like, Absolutely, <laughs> you know, like I'm. I'm on board, Mark. You're hiring. Like, let's go. I'm, I'm passionate, right? You're, you're invoking passion. I absolutely love it. You know, our our version is, uh, you know, matches maybe my personality a little bit more. But you know, our our mission is just to be braggable, and braggable definitely is not a word, but is absolutely a word that we use all the time. And what we talk about being braggable at is being so good at anything you do, whatever it is whether that is at work, whether that's being a, a parent, whether that's being a volunteer, whether that's being um, a, a learner, Wh- whatever it is that you do in your life, be so good at it that other people brag about it. You were talking about seeing the ad on the TV um, and people saying, hey, that's our company, mm-hmm. that's our new, and having that passion and just being so proud that you want to talk about it. 
our, our mission is, you know, we talk about it and I've talked about this with Chad a lot. We talk about what do we actually do? What are we in? We're in the people building industry. That's what we do. We build leaders. We build people. We challenge people to be their best. Um, and we want people to be so good in our company that their friends and their family and everyone brags about them mm-hmm. and says, that's what it is. And that extends outside of business. That extends to everything. And we just have a standing policy. If there's anything that we can do to help you be better and be braggable in your life in any area, let us know and we'll support it. Um, because that's, that's just what we believe in. We're here to make people better and we're here to help them as a guide get to where they, they want to go. It's uh, it's always fun to make up words. That's uh, we, when we make up words, it just sticks, right? So be braggable, be understanded, uh, whatever it is, it, it all works with you. Uh, Mark, any closing thoughts on uh, culture uh, for your organization, and we'll we'll wrap this thing up and uh, let people get back to work. Well, our made up word that you heard last week was servancy. Yep, and you know it 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 really started with this idea of servant leadership, right? And, and um, but we felt it needed to be so much more than that, right? We, we all need to be supporting each other. Uh, regardless of who you are in the organization, we need to support our teammates. We need to support our customers. And I think it's, um, you know, making these beliefs um, actionable, you know, uh, they, they need to be behaviors within the organization. And, uh, Hey, I just want to thank both of you so much. I've learned a ton from both of you during this conversation. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, thinking through and applying some of the concepts or ideas that you shared. So thanks for that. Very cool. Mark, thank you very much for, uh, you know, one, your, uh, hospitality before I know, uh, Back before when we could travel, it was really cool to come down to visit the operation uh, in Houston, and you walked me through and toured the facility and kind of showed me some of the stuff you guys were working on there. And it's really cool to see that it, it opened up my eyes to some of the things that we could do different in our business. And I think that's one of the cool things even about this kind of roundtable discussion is the sharing of ideas. Maybe something that you said clicks with me, we can figure out a way to apply it here. Obviously, something Lars said probably is not going to click with anybody, so we'll just ignore all those things. <laughs> and then, and then, no, but we share, the sharing of ideas. Lars is is a great friend of mine. We 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 chat all the time, but um, the 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 conversations that we have spark ideas in you to implement those in your organization, and then we're all better for it. And so I think that's really cool. So I want to appreciate uh, both of you guys for taking time out of your schedule uh, to be here today because I know we're all busy right now, got a lot of things going on, uh, but I think it's important for us. And, and again, thanks to HL Flake for helping to support this and to, to push this out for our industry. You guys are always talking about your For the Locksmith, and these exercises show that because you're, you're talking about how to make your business better, not just how to sell more widgets. And that's what we're all trying to be better at is, is better at our businesses and our organizations so that we can serve our customers better and go from there. So thank you again for attending this uh, edition of the Security Professionals Business Roundtable. Uh, obviously, we're doing this every week on Thursdays at two o'clock. So be sure to set your alarm clock by it uh, because there'll be another conversation around a new topic next Thursday right here on the HL Flake Facebook 